0: No sugarcoating, no spin, taking the hard knocks. We're learning from failure so you can succeed. This is the Philosophy Audio and Video Cast with Gabe Zickerman. The time was a
1: food, st- Hello,
0: everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Philosophy. Podcast and videocast. I'm your host, Gabe Zickerman. You can reach me um, at g z i c h e r m. I am coming to you from a once again sunny Los Angeles. And for those of you watching live, you'll know that we've been dealing with some serious wildfires in California. But I'm I'm pleased to report that at the moment here in downtown Los Angeles, there's not um, not a lot of smoke, so we're surviving kind of well. One of the things that was interesting to me about, um, about these wildfires, the camp wildfire, for example, is now information is kind of coming to light that people did not get notified of the imminent danger of the fire particularly well. So in some municipalities that worked well, I think in Malibu, um, but in other places, people didn't, weren't notified. And they actually had plenty of time to get out of the way of the, the, the fire and potentially even save some of their um some of their belongings this again not true for everyone but just you know for some and reports are starting to come out that you know the notifications weren't received uh people didn't know about it so they they found themselves like noticing the fire and then running which is a an absolutely terrifying thing to do and it got me thinking about particularly in you know natural disaster settings whether or not the people responsible for this kind of thing are able to own up to their mistakes. You know, we've been dealing with since uh, the hurricane in Puerto Rico, we've been dealing with this, you know, this administration not taking responsibility, trying to deflect responsibility for the work that, um, you know, probably should have been done by FEMA. And it does raise an interesting sort of question about, for me, about whether or not, um, you know, government agencies and the officials running them are, Especially good at being honest and vulnerable about their failures. So hopefully at some point we'll be able to get one of those folks on board. I'd love to get the head of FEMA to come on the show and talk through, you know, their, um, their feelings about, you know, the work that they do. But in the meantime, grateful for everyone, all the firefighters and everyone who got out of the way. And I'm also grateful to, for today's guest who is a dear friend of mine. Um, we've known each other for many years since um, he found he was one of the co-founders of Start Out. And those of you who watched um, uh, have watched the last few episodes of the podcast, you'll recognize uh, Jody Pasquale, also as one of those people. It's a great organization for LGBT entrepreneurs, and um, and one of the places where I connected with some of my like absolute favorite people in the world. So, let me introduce entrepreneur, brilliant guy, um, and, you know, gorgeous man about town, Brian Genesco. Hi, Brian.
1: Hey, Gabe. Hi. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: Yes. And for those of you who don't know, Brian, um, he hasn't aged a minute in like 10 years. So, whatever he's doing, if, you know, separate from his entrepreneurial efforts, whatever he's doing, you should do that. Do that,
1: oh my God. that <laughs> Gabe you're setting up uh, quite quite a lot of expectation here yeah but um,
0: look at how young you look
1: I, I love it thank you
0: you're welcome and welcome and and so um, Brian why don't you tell people um, a little bit about your background and what what it is that you have done
1: uh, absolutely I started my career in finance I'm not sure if you knew that Gabe uh, and I left that that last role at Morgan Stanley several years ago to found my first startup called New Kitchen, which was the pioneering uh, business model in the meal delivery movement. This is a few years before HelloFresh, um, Blue Apron, Plated, yeah. all of them. Yes, we were we were the first, actually. And uh, after several years at the, the helm, there, running that company with my business partner, Mark Newhouse. We raised some venture capital. And then as we were scaling it, Nutrisystem <laughs> came knocking uh, and acquired us. So that was our first real entrepreneurial experience, and there was a lot of success. And I'm actually going to come back to um, a failure that we had, and I like considered a failure, even okay. though the business didn't fail. Mm. There were multiple points throughout that journey where there could have been a lot of failure, and I've never really talked about that. Actually, I've never talked about this topic in general. But after we sold the business, I then went on to found or co-found um, multiple other Direct-to-consumer food-based, better-for-you business models, and uh, alongside you, uh, helping bring to life Founder Institute in New York, co-founding Startout, and then helping entrepreneurs more generally get going—that has really been the forefront of of my personal mission of helping increase the rate of startup success. So that's really what I've been working on, and uh, in the past eighteen months. I'm happy to report, happy to say that I partnered with Michael Loeb, who I believe is a legendary entrepreneur, investor, founder. Um, He's disrupted multiple industries and created billions in value uh, from co-founding Priceline to selling Synapse that that disrupted the publishing industry um, to his latest uh, unicorn, which is called Script Relief that has provided access, discounted access, to, to prescription drugs for millions of Americans who otherwise would not have access to them. So cool. I'm really excited to be partnering with him. Cool. Um, and I'll, I'll finish that line of thought with, yeah. with the final statement. Uh, Michael and I have partnered to bring to market a reboot of a company, a mission-based company that I previously had incubated uh, under the name Wicked Star. We're bringing that to market as Grow, and we really want to empower entrepreneurs to launch successful new ventures, and we're doing that with an online startup accelerator.
0: One of the things about Founder Institute, which for people who don't know it, is a global, um, a global kind of startup accelerator for for people with very early stage ideas. And we were the co-directors of it for some time in New York, and you know we would typically see like about forty um, entrepreneurs per session, if memory serves. And, um, you know, one of the hardest things about helping those entrepreneurs and one of the most interesting things about FI to me was the fact that we were expected to be truly honest with them and and critical and provide them with like as much clarity as possible with the proviso that, you know, their, their spouses or their parents could mollycoddle them, but here they were going to get some honest feedback and input about the, um, about the process. And. Honestly, at the beginning, I found that very hard because I felt like I was, you know, trampling on these people's, um, trampling on their dreams. Um, but also good at it, Gabe. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but also, also, you know, thinking a lot about the, you know, the, not getting that kind of feedback from other people. I'm curious to get your take. Is it hard for people to be honest when, when, do you start listening to that kind of honest feedback and when do you ignore that sort of honest feedback and, uh, and push forward?
1: That's a great question, Gabe, and it's one I have been grappling with for a very long time. I think more so in the last few years, um, age experience and trying to learn as I've become uh, slightly more self-aware. I I think it's it's important to to listen to feedback, especially when you're hearing it from consistent sources, people that you trust, that you respect. Um, It's a fine line. I think, certainly from a business perspective, It, it, you know, we can certainly get into that a little bit more when we talk about, um, some of the, the learnings or failures, uh, as I've been difficult to actually label them as failures, but, um, it's a fine line to really understand when you, when you need to listen to that. I mean, you need to listen to that, but what to take out of that and how to interpret it. And then more importantly, how do you shift your behavior based on that? And you're absolutely right when you talked about founders coming into Founder Institute because everyone's so excited. You want to encourage that enthusiasm. Right. But at the same time, you want to temper that and, and, and provide them with a dose of reality to help them become better uh, at, at, at pitching, creating a business model, and actually launching a meaningful and enduring business model. So uh, your mother isn't going to tell you that. Your mother's going to tell you how much she loves you and she'll support you. But she's not the person you should be asking. Right. Anyway. And,
0: but, it, but it's interesting because we would, you know, we'd get a panel of, um, you know, we'd get a panel of entrepreneurs and they, they would pitch for those mm-hmm. who hadn't been in the session, and, and the entrepreneurs would pitch. And then the um, entrepreneurs in the room would give feedback. And one of the things that I noticed, and a frequent question that would come up from the students is, or the founders, is what do I do when I get conflicting feedback? So one minute I'm getting you know, from from Brian that I need to go direct, you know, uh, B2B, and I'm getting from Gabe, I need to go B2C. How do I reconcile those things? And I think in in most failure modes, at least for me in retrospect, I could always look back and say, oh, if I'd only listened to this person, or if I'd only listened more closely to this person, but when you're in the middle of it, it's hard, it's really hard to reconcile that, um, your own like motivation and then what people are telling you, isn't it?
1: It, well, yes, I, I agree with that. And and I also think it's easy to go back in time and, and say, gosh, if I had only done X, Y or Z, yeah. I, at the end of the day, what I realized my biggest fault had been is just taking personal responsibility for my actions. And mm-hmm. it's very easy to assign blame. Um, you may know from working with uh, business partners how Uh, easy and challenging it can be. And I look back at my relationship with Mark and it was easy for me to, to lodge, uh, lob complaints in his direction and to, you know, bitch about the situation when in fact I needed to take responsibility and really own up to my, my, my portion of, of, of it. And so, um, yeah, I think, um, there's, there's a, there's a lot that we need to, to think about.
0: Um, this. Uh, I'm not sure if I
1: answered the question. No,
0: no. I, I I think this is this is like a very thorny problem, and and people. I I think part of it is that people um, have spent so much time patterning themselves after successful people, and one of the things that very successful, especially tech entrepreneurs, tend to do is they tend to rewrite their history. So they you know edit you know, back what happened, the things that were challenges or the things that were failures and, and sort of paper over them. And so people, people don't really see the fuck ups of Steve Jobs. All they see is everyone told me this, the iPod wouldn't work and I pushed through and therefore, you know, I am a genius and you know, no, no, no. And so, but at the intersection of that, so there's like, you know, one out of every hundred people of Steve Jobs, the rest of us are going to not be successful, uh, with that first idea pushing through. Um, and I, I I think it's like, you know, your, your willingness to be vulnerable and say like, you know, talk about how it wasn't, um, you know, you couldn't just like shirk responsibility. Do you think, or how do you think that vulnerability plays a role in
1: honest, uh, understandings of, of what's happening? I think it's a, yeah, it's another another great um, question. It's paramount to be vulnerable because you're being authentic to who you are. And if we had this conversation 10 years ago, I can tell you, (laughs) revisionist history or not, that I would not have been answering a question like that in this way. It would have been, you know, strong, confident, being on top. And it's not that I'm not confident. I think you are confident when you can own up to uh, things that are a little bit. You know, when you are weak and when you are in moments of distress, because I gave a little bit of thought of, of how I was going to some of the items I want to talk to you about. Wow. And, and, and it's interesting because I am a big fan of self development and, 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 and sort of self improvement and learning, uh, internally and doing things to move to next. And as I unpack that, I realized that the biggest moments of learning came from what were moments of, darkness, failure, uh, it's hitting the bottom or what I felt at least for me personally was hitting the bottom of that abyss or an abyss and then how to come out of that, how to move out of that. And so my greatest growth actually has come from those failures and those moments of, of, of not knowing where to go, what to do and nowhere to go. (laughs) And so, um, when I first was thinking of self-development, yes, I, 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 you know, I've, follow everyone from Tony Robbins to uh I meditate to go you know joining different organizations. But when I unpack that as to the why, what motivated me to go down that path to begin with and it was, you know, coming out of these darker moments. I can give you a really clear example. Sure, if that'd you, be great. You hear. Yeah, um, I do. It it was really what I would consider probably my biggest failure My first failure where I was really reaching what I thought was a a terrible place, and I know we've all gone to dark places and and had uh, really uh, dark thoughts. It would have been a couple of years after I founded New Kitchen. We were driving revenue, we were driving new customers into the model, so we had a, a little glimmer of hope and I was hanging on to that. But on the flip side, we were losing so much money Mark, neither Mark nor myself were tech entrepreneurs. We weren't foodies. We were in way over our heads. I was out of money. I had literally liquidated my 401k. I was living in a fourth story walk up. Um, The ceiling had collapsed um, in the kitchen, so I couldn't even cook. And then it was just it was one thing after another. And I was really in a bad place. And I literally had resigned myself to filing for bankruptcy and hightailing it back to Wisconsin on the next Greyhound. That literally was the only thought going through my head. Mm. So for me, that represented failure because I just wasn't sure what to do and I couldn't see a path out. Um, and so I'm not saying we turn failures into successes but because this was part of the New Kitchen story, mm. however, you know, I actually took a step back, took a deep breath, I actually took a yoga class and that really was the start of, of something that helped me to think through other possible solutions to move from really what was a very difficult place where I was in, I was actually in debt at the time because we had co-signed on a, a very large loan for several hundred thousand dollars and I had no savings. So in my mind, I was in a really uh, tenuous place. yeah And so for me to make a shift into, well, what would I need to see to turn this into a positive situation? What would I need to do? And that was where I engaged in what I would call the first major step in personal development and that's when i joined the entrepreneurs organization eo and by doing that over a course of six months i was able to figure out what i needed to do to write the business and to see what opportunities there were and it was after that that we were able to raise a couple million in venture capital start to scale the business turn it into a profitable business model and then we ultimately sold it to nutrisystem so of course it sounds like a great story and it was a Beautiful journey overall, even with those dark moments. But honestly, Gabe, it was during that dark moment that I was ready to quit. And no one would have faulted me for doing that. No right. one at all.
0: Right. I, I think it's very interesting because you talk about this dark place. And it, it took me back to a time pretty early on in my career where um, – I was uh, living in San Francisco commuting down to the South Bay, uh, working at this company with a really like terrible boss who was just insane. She would scream and yell at me like and everyone not just me, but she would just scream and yell and I was miserable and I was in a relationship with my my first serious boyfriend and it was falling apart um, you know and and I was in this kind of and I had no I had very little money. Um, you know, I, everything felt like highly pressured. And I remember driving back up the 101 into San Francisco and thinking, uh, you know, maybe I should kill myself, like run the car into the, into the sidewall, because that would relieve me of all these like internal, um, you know, fears that all this, all this tension and anxiety that was sort of building. And I remember immediately after having that thought, like immediately after that thought, I thought... Okay, I need to go see a therapist because that's that was a very serious kind of um you know moment that i I have to take that seriously yes. and I don't know what this internal voice is. it periodically shows up when I need it pretty seriously um but this this little internal voice this like snapping over into smart self preservation um you know what has been very valuable to me ha- Have you ever had those kinds of moments like what, what does rock bottom mean to you? I,
1: I, I, have never seriously thought about suicide, but I have to tell you there are moments where it seemed like, gosh, it would be so easy to do that. And, and that's not, you know, and then I, I I dismissed it because that's just too easy. That's not a solution. And, you know, my fundamental connection with this world is we are all connected and I am here to serve. There is a greater purpose. And, um, and, and I, I fundamentally believe that because you and I, we are very fortunate in many ways and we have an opportunity to be able to do more, to use our voice, to use our ambition, to use our, our intelligence to, um, to influence and to make a difference. And so, regardless of what happens, I will have, <laughs> those attributes. And I will always be striving to do that. And of course, there's me bumps along the way, nothing, nothing goes perfect. But yeah. that's okay. Because if you're trying to solve big problems, a lot of what I consider to be these smaller problems, sort of, you know, they're there, but they're easier to work through them, and they don't become as problematic. Now, again, I am positive, I'm going to go through some massive failure, some something, whether it's personal, professional, or something that is going to cause me to, to you know, come to a complete halt. But I'd like to think that the things that I have been doing are better preparing me for that. But everything is always so different. You yeah. Know? <laughs>
0: sure. Well, and you, you know, you mentioned that basically for you at that kind of rock bottom moment, peer support was where you went, right? Because EO yeah. is like your peers. I went internally, you went to your peers. Um, and one of the questions asked actually by, uh, Josh Conaway, a friend of mine actually who's, who's watching us right now. Um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's sort of asked, why is it that we as people look for panaceas? Why do we look for quick fixes? Why do we look for you know, simple kind of bite-sized things from, from experts and, and people? he said soothsayers, but let's just say for, from experts or people who've been very successful. I feel like everybody wants that like super quick fix and like you know, they just want like the one button solution. But yeah, do you, yeah, have, do you have any insight for yourself? You know, you talk about following Tony Robbins. What 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 motivates you or what have you observed in other people?
1: Well, first these? of all, um, that, that, that I think that's that's absolutely true. Um, the diet business wasn't built on, you know, long term solutions. Right, it's it's sure. a 60 billion dollar plus industry. Um, and I know that industry well. Uh, you know, I personally follow lots of people. I'm inspired by you. I'm inspired by Tony Robbins. I'm inspired by Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Wayne Dyer. There are a lot of people who I'm inspired by, but we're all human. And I think we all need to, you know, rely on each other to, 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 to continue to grow as people. Um, but yeah, we are hardwired to want a quick fix. I think there's, uh, you know, in, internally, that's, that's natural for us to want to be able to figure out the quickest solution, especially when we are in a place of, of negativity or, we want to, to solve a problem. I mean, and, and certainly our culture today has become accustomed to a pill popping culture. Um, and so I think about as we, as I look about, think about launching new businesses and new ventures, and even whether it's starting a business or, you know, losing weight, it's all about what can we do in bite sized chunks that allow people to see immediate results, even if they're a series of small steps. I think it's a very promising way to think about that's it. Interesting, um, and that's how that is my approach. It's it's a series of simple, small steps where you can see tangible results at each step of the way.
0: So it's kind of like focus on the process rather than the outcome, because i often I often oh. feel like that's where people get they get really hung up. They're like, "I want to lose these fifty pounds," and then because they can't achieve that thing really quickly, they they kind of fall apart.
1: Yeah, well, it's binary, right? It's sort of like I. I I generally lead a very healthy life. I eat very well 80% of the time, but that other 20% of the time, some will say, "Why are you eating a donut?" or "Why are you doing X, Y, or Z?" You can do that, and if you are leading a balanced life, you can do. You just can't do it all the time, right? I think if you're trying to minimize sugars and just be healthier, so I think it's 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 not binary. And I do find that when we have these results every step of the way, it just makes it a little easier. It's what you know when you have the fitness trackers or you're doing Peloton, you can constantly gauge and monitor yourself. I mean that's exactly what you were doing with your previous business, right? Just helping people monitor their progress and you know and, and even before that, everything you've been doing about gamification is helping tap into that psyche and helping people understand uh, how to keep them going, especially when you see them coming down. What can we do to, to raise them up a little bit?
0: Well one of the interesting things though that you that you point out and I think it's accurate and I also just want to thank Josh for the question. Um also Thank you, Josh, <laughs> Amy, Amy and Gabriel Roman, who are are watching right now, welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, I one of the interesting things about gamification, though, and the way that I thought of progress before this failure of onward, this this collapse of my last startup, um, I thought the ideal way to help people make progress was to have them look away from both the goal and objective but also from the risk of failure. So like, you know, you're walking a a high wire, right? A tightrope, and you can neither look down nor up. And I think one of the one of the things that I, one of the conclusions that I've come to is actually by turning my attention, by turning my gaze directly to the actual source of my fear, like the thing that's actually like freaking me out about the situation. I actually find a place of calm. Um, I find a place of, of happiness, as much as it sucks, after giving that a voice and, and pushing through that. Can you relate to that at all? What are your thoughts about
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that does tie into, I believe, my second biggest um, failure, really. Yeah. Um, failure on, on multiple levels. What that led me to was meditation, kundalini meditation. And so that led me into a year long process of of really digging deep and uh, meditating. So what you've just described about being in a place of fear, I refer to that as being steadfast in the face of uncertainty, and really just being stoic. It doesn't mean not accepting it. You give it a voice. You have to give it a voice, right? Because uh, it's like a cancer and it will grow inside of you. So you have to express that. I, I, I absolutely believe that. And when you do that, you are going to lighten your load. You're going to be freer. You're going to open up yourself to new opportunities. Uh, it may be difficult to see them in the moment, but just know that this. Oh my gosh, I'm full of like crazy uh, yeah. adages here, but this too shall pass. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so if, if we if we think through 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 it in that way, um, you know what if... that
0: yeah, you know what that made me think of though. That made me think yeah. of something interesting. So you yes. remember, um, you remember the miracle on the Hudson flight, Captain yes. Sully Sullenberger. So Absolutely. one of the things that I found the most interesting and inspiring about that was actually the air traffic control um, recording. Because what it very clearly, I think he said like, um, uh, he's like, we're going in the river. Like he actually said that on the, on the recording and he's calm. He's not pretending that they're not going to go in the river, which is what, you know, what I think many people with less experience or less, um, let's say chutzpah or whatever it is, uh, you know, would do. He seemed calm and focused, but aware that there was going to be like serious danger and serious problems unfolding from the from the moment that that became obvious and that kind of calm that stoicism that's really hard for people to achieve it that is. like do you so do you find it was a meditation that's helped you because you're very calm
1: yes yeah yeah well as you know i can be calm but i can also be incredibly hyper mm-hmm. uh hi, hi, highly energized um yep. but yeah a, a, absolutely uh, morning meditation has been a really important part of my my practice i find that even as little as just a couple of minutes to 20 minutes can shift the entire day. Um, and then even when, when, you know, There's a lot of shitty things that may happen throughout the day. And so I just will come into a small room like this. You can't see the entire room that I'm in, but just close myself off and just do some deep breathing and little things like that can shift the energy. Other things for me personally are, are, you know, exercising, you know, uh, running, hiking, lifting, lifting weights because you're creating that balance. And those things for me absolutely work. So I encourage everybody to find what works for them. But I do think meditation generally is a great practice for everybody to to engage in, I, I think it allows you to really look holistically and honestly at yourself and think through um, what is working and what isn't, because internally, you kind of know what is working? And you asked at the beginning of this conversation, how do you know, <laughs> you know, people are giving you feedback. How do you know you need to listen to it yeah. if it's counter to what you believe is the right thing? At the end of the day, you answer to yourself. So uh, if you've listened to the feedback, but you still want to move forward with with uh, your decision or how you're going about things, uh, then that's that's your decision and own it.